Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Glad you're here. I want to welcome those of us who are joining uh, online, maybe in our global online community or at one of our campuses. Uh, we're glad you're here on this holiday uh, weekend, and I uh, hope you're going to celebrate, and I hope the rain doesn't mess up your celebration, but that's South Carolina in the summertime, huh? Uh, we, uh, we're going to celebrate, our family is for a whole kind of different thing. We celebrate, you know, the birthday of our country, but my uh, father is going to celebrate 88 years uh, this year, and uh, he, uh, uh, I think he's going to be here today. Uh, they, they, he comes every week, but um, he prayed over Father's Day, and then he got COVID and uh, has had a challenge with that over the last couple of weeks and doing better, and we're glad he's here. But we're bringing in, uh, for the first time probably ever here in Charleston, a bunch of my cousins and siblings, and so we've got family, and most of them are pastors, and uh, so uh, somebody said today, what will the conversation be? I said, I don't know. They talk at one another. We don't have conversation, and uh, coming in from Los Angeles in Phoenix and Nashville and Houston and um, uh, Denver and uh, Savannah, Georgia, and uh, we're gathering together. And so uh, we decided it'd be great if if we had uh, one of the family come and uh, speak to you this weekend, and not just my family, but a part of our family here at Seacoast. Uh, Jeff and, and Sherry Surratt uh, were here on staff for 14 years uh, during uh, really formative uh, times in our uh, in our uh, life as a church, uh, Sherry was uh, over all of our children's ministry, and uh, Jeff uh, helped to uh, come up with and actually formulate the principles of multi-site, which didn't exist at the time, and um, uh, wrote books about multi-site that people have read all over the world, and. Uh, they left here, uh, Jeff uh, and Sherry. Uh, Sherry became the CEO of uh, Mops International, Mothers of Preschoolers, and then uh, now she is the Executive Vice President at One Hope, uh, which is one of our mission partners that reaches children all over the world. And uh, Jeff uh, left to be uh, an Executive Director of Ministries at Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, uh, out in California, and uh, now he uh, is the president of Rethink Leadership, which does conferences and, and uh, material for, for leaders, and uh, we're real proud of them. Now, over the years, they've written uh, a number of books, and this is what's kind of fun. Uh, as, as a lot of you who are part of Seacoast know, that we started a retreat center on Johns Island um, for uh, pastors and leaders, and some of you ask, how's that going? We started about a year and a half ago, and we've already had, I had a group this week, we've already had uh, over 700 leaders and pastors that have come, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just a blast, and um, we'll, we'll do it for 40 weeks next year, so somebody asked me, are you retired? I'm going to smack you if you ask me that again, because uh, I'm, I'm working every week, but we have pastors that come, and and not every week, but at least a few times a month, a pastor will come up to me and they will say, uh, your book, on whatever it happened to be, changed my life. And I know that Jeff wrote that particular book. <laughs> and I used to say, that's my brother Jeff. Now I just say, thank you, thank you. I, this is great. 
And what's funny is, and he'll be in the next service, my, my brother Chris has written a very uh, 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 well-used book uh, over the last couple of years on small groups. And uh, somebody a couple of weeks ago said to me, your book on small groups really has revolutionized our church. And I was able to, again, say thank you. I put a lot into that. And uh, it's my, my privilege to serve you in that way. But uh, I'm excited to have uh, Jeff and Sherry with us. Sherry, would you stand and we give Sherry some love? And uh, would you join me in welcoming, give a great big South Carolina welcome to Jeff Surratt as he comes to share with us. Thank you. You guys are incredibly kind. Uh, what Greg doesn't know that is over the last few years, many times, Greg, I have been thanked for the impact that I've had in starting and being president of ARC. And so I, <laughs> though I'm not associated with ARC in any way, I do accept the, the praise and a few of the checks too. So that works out <laughs> really, really well. Some, some guys have thanked me for the retreat and I've given them free trips to come back. So that's, it's really been good. No, it is. Man, it's an honor to be here. This is amazing. This is amazing. I, I was thinking flying in, uh, we flew in Friday night, and on the plane I was kind of checking the weather and thinking about Seacoast and Charleston, and I realized it was 26 years ago this weekend that we moved from Houston to Charleston. And what reminded me of that is, if you remember Friday night, a tropical storm turned up off the coast of Savannah, and the weekend we moved here, a, a tropical storm turned up off the coast of Savannah. So it kind of felt like deja vu. Now, when we moved here uh, 26 years ago, we looked a little bit different. I think I have a picture of what we looked like when we moved here. Yep, that's us. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea why we're laying down. Like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know what, what the photographer was thinking. You can see that uh, I, uh, Sherry had maybe bigger hair back then, and I had hair back then. That was awesome. Um, but this is, oh, I think we have an updated photo from just a, a few weeks ago. This is the family now, and over on the side is uh, Brittany, and that's her husband, Freddie. We're so glad to have uh, Fred and Terry Reed here. Uh, they're a huge part of Seacoast, and Brittany and Freddie met right here, and then there's Mike, my son, and Hillary, and um, all of our grandchildren who have names um, that I'm sure that I know what they are. Uh, it's Maggie, Molly, Mason, and then little bitty uh, Copeland. And, and it's just such an honor to be back here. Seacoast just played a huge, huge part of our family, still continues to today. Oh, we raised our family here. When we moved here, Mike, our oldest, was going into fifth grade. Our daughter, Brittany, was going into kindergarten. And, and they learned about Jesus here. Some of you were their small group leaders. They both committed their lives to Christ here, were baptized here. Uh, Mike eventually uh, became a sm uh, middle school small group leader. Eventually, he actually became, for a while, the uh, middle school pastor here at the uh, 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 Mount Pleasant campus. Brittany, I remember her picking up in about the sixth or seventh grade, the guitar and teaching herself how to play guitar. And then, and then she started to play guitar in the middle school group and then in the high school group. And eventually she was on stage over in the other auditorium and she was on stage as a guitar and bass player and became sound engineer for a brief time. They're both doing amazing. Mike is an executive pastor for a church in Colorado and Brittany is sound engineer for that church among other things out in Colorado. And the foundation that our family laid here is just incredible. I'm so thankful for it. And then, as Greg mentioned, we, 
we, we discovered this, this idea of multi-site when we were here. I think Greg and I were, we were out playing golf and playing poorly and talking about Seacoast. I think at the time we were, had five weekend services, all identical, all packed out. We didn't know what to do. Uh, Greg had gone to the town council to build a bigger building and they had turned him down. And we just, we said, you know, they're building a, a brand new, at that time they were building a brand new strip, strip center just about a quarter mile away. Now it's the Harris Teeter where Harris Teeter's at. And on the corner there, there was a, a place we could rent. And we, we said, what if we rented that out? And we could have music, live music here, and then live music there. And then Greg said, you know what we could do? We could record the message, the sermon on Saturday night at Saturday night service, and we could play it back over there on Sunday morning. And you remember, I was very enthusiastic about that. I think, I think my response was, I don't even like to listen to you live. Why would I watch you on video? <laughs> to which he fired me, and then I got rehired, and... It was, it was amazing to see what God did. Like I remember those of you who are over at West Ashley, you're in a, a, just a great facility over there um, um, off 17. That's not where we started. We started West Ashley in the worst theater in America, two screen theater built in like 1935. The uh, manager, his wife, his two kids, their dog and their snake all lived in the projection room above the theater. At the end of service, while we're tearing down, they would come down. She would have the snake draped around her shoulders. One day, one of her, one of their little, their little kid punched out one of our volunteers kids. Like as we're, it was terrible. Like we, we got there one Sunday to set up it was October 1st, and there was a sign on the door that said, do not touch the decorations. And we thought, we wonder what that's about. We went in, they had decorated for Halloween. There was cobwebs hanging everywhere. Over the entrance to the children's wing, there were, or children's theater, there was a huge bat with a six-foot wingspan just hanging. Where we did coffee on Sunday mornings, there was a coffin. And when you walked past it, Dracula would sit up out of the coffin. For one month, we did church in a haunted theater. And yet God showed up and people gave their lives to Christ. Those of you in Columbia, I, I haven't actually seen the facility in Columbia. That's not where we started. We started in Columbia in this little warehouse that was uh, right off the highway, except you could not, the only way to get from the highway to the warehouse took a guide dog, a GPS, and luck. Like there was no way to get there. And yet somehow... God used us and showed up and people came and, and churches began to hear about what we were doing and they would come here to Charleston and see what we were doing and when they would leave, they would always say, you know, I got to tell you, after seeing what you guys have done here, if you guys can do this, anybody can. We're like, <laughs> you're right. And then we've seen literally thousands of churches all over the world adopt this idea of being one church in multiple locations. Today, on a Sunday, I think I saw the other day, somewhere around 10 to 15% of everyone who goes to church in America today will be attending a multi-site church. And it's just amazing to see what God has done from the foundation that, that you guys have created here at Seacoast. And we left 11 years ago, but Seacoast never left us. This is still our home. This is still our foundation. And it means so much to us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about foundations. How do we do that? How do we build a solid foundation in our life? As, as, as we get into that, would you, would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, I just thank you for uh, the ministry that Greg and Debbie started here just many, many years ago. 
and to see their kids grow up in, in, in ministry and volunteering and serving and to see kids of other leaders in so many people's lives impacted, not just here in Charleston, but across the state and in North Carolina. We're just so thankful for what you're doing. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us today. Lord, I pray you'll speak through me, not my words, but that you'll just illuminate your word. And Lord, we, we just ask it and we lean into you. Lord, we're listening. Speak to us. We ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to wrap up today this series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in this at Seacoast since the beginning of this year. You know this, this story. Jesus is with his followers, and, and they're walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he stops, and a huge crowd comes and is following him. And so he goes up a, a little hill, a mountain, and he sits down, and he begins to teach his disciples and this crowd that is listening. And he, he teaches what is the most significant sermon of, of his ministry on earth. In fact, it's the most significant sermon that's ever been and preached. And from this one sermon, we have things that if you've been around church for a while, you're very familiar with. He, he gives the Beatitudes. He gives what we call the golden rule. He gives the Lord's prayer all in this one sermon. And then he, he finishes the sermon with one last story. And it's that final story of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at. It's Jesus' conclusion to this great message. It's in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we'll have verses on the screens. If you have a device or your Bible with you, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to uh, be in Matthew 5 through 7 throughout, throughout the next few minutes. But in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24, Jesus tells this story. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is important, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rack. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, those of you who live here on the coast you, you know what Jesus is talking about. How many of you have had just the great honor of uh, riding out a hurricane? How many of you have? A lot of you. Yeah, me too. Isn't that fun? Like one, uh, one of the hurricanes that we rode out when we lived here was Gaston. Some of you remember Gaston. We were in our house. We were looking out the front window. We had a pine, two pine trees. I don't know how tall, maybe 50 feet tall. And we heard one of them snap and we just prayed, fall the other way, fall the other way. And it did. It fell toward the street. And that's why we are still here alive today. Like, and that's the kind of storm Jesus is talking about, the kind of storm that just knocks houses down. And some houses stand and some fall. And Jesus says the difference in the house, the difference in surviving the storm is how strong the foundation is. Jesus says the story, this story, there's two builders, there's two houses, there's two foundations, one storm, two wildly different outcomes. Jesus says, those of you who hear my words and do them, the doers, you're building your house. It's like building a house on rock. And when the storm comes, the house survives. Those of you who just hear my words and go away and don't do what I say, it's like you're building your house, your life on sand. And when the storms that are inevitable and happen to all of us, when they come, your house, your life will not survive. I, I kind of have this picture, and then Jesus is done. That's the end of the sermon. The service is over. It's time to go home. And I, I just have this, this picture of people leaving. They're headed out to lunch. They're talking, and, and the hearers are talking to each other. And they said, well, what did you think of church today? Oh, I loved it. 
I love doing church outside. You know that synagogue we used to go to? It was so dark and dank. This, this sitting outside over the lake, I loved it. What do you think of the sermon? Oh, Jesus was on fire today. In fact, I got to post something real quick. I, I took a picture of Jesus while he was teaching. Let me pull up my Instagram. Jesus was on fire today. Fire emoji. Fire emoji. Fire emoji. Hashtag best church ever. Oh, I'm telling you. You know, it was a little long. The sermon was a little long. Yeah, it was. You know, the snacks last week, those fish sandwiches, way better. <laughs> well, what do you think we should do when we get home? Oh, we're just going to do, we're going to do the same things we always did. But there was another group who walked away that day. One of them was a, a young man named Matthew. And he said, guys, that was pretty impactful. In fact, I took notes on the whole thing. Like, I'm going to write that out. And some of them said, you know what? I think we ought to look, go back and look at what Matthew wrote and do the things that Jesus said. And it was a very small group of them who did what Jesus said to do. And those are the people who literally changed the world. What Jesus is saying is that if you want a solid foundation for your life, if you want to build a life that lasts, if you want to make a difference, if you, if you want to leave a legacy, then it's simple. Do what I said to do. So what we're going to do is we're just going to take a few minutes to look back. What did Jesus say to do in this Sermon on the Mount? And we've taken six months to go through the sermon. I don't need to go through all of it again. But I think there are some major themes of things that Jesus said, hey, do these things if you want to have a life of significance and a life that lasts. The first thing that Jesus talks about is I think the big picture of this is Jesus kind of says, choose happiness. You need to choose happiness. Now, happiness has kind of gotten a bad rap in the church. I've even done this. We, we preach these sermons that say, you know, happiness is just an emotion. It comes and goes. Happiness is what you feel when, like, first day of vacation or if you won the lottery. That's happiness. And I'm thinking, that sounds okay. Like, not a bad thing. But, but no, what you want is joy. Joy is that thing that you have no matter what else happens. Like, like when the Gamecocks lose to the Tigers every single year you still have joy and I'm thinking I'd like to have both like happiness sounds good and Jesus is kind of saying happiness is good it's emotion and emotions come from God in fact Jesus starts the whole sermon out with eight statements we call them the beatitudes often they're translated the word he uses is often translated blessed but the literal translation of what Jesus says is the word happy Jesus says, happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. In fact, he finishes that section in verse 11 of chapter 5 of Matthew with this. He says, blessed or happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, happy are you. When you're persecuted. See, Jesus is redefining happiness. Jesus is, is turning it upside down. In fact, his definition is kind of summed up by a, a Christian who is a neuroscientist. You maybe have read some of her stuff, Dr. Caroline Leaf. I love her definition of happiness. She says, happiness is knowing where we belong and knowing why we are alive, regardless of what is going on in life. The best picture I've ever seen of this kind of happiness is a five-year-old t-ball game, okay? My grandson is five years old. My oldest grandson is five years old. Have any of you ever seen a five-year-old t-ball game? It's an experience you have to have. It has nothing to do with baseball. 
very little to do with sport, okay? Let me explain. Like I was watching the other day, and a little boy on the team stole second base. What I mean is he literally picked up second base, and he took it with him when he left. He liked it, right? A little girl got a hit. She's running to first base when she sees the other team all running to the outfield to retrieve the ball she hit, and she decides to help them. So she just keeps going. That's happiness. Like, they don't care about what people think about them or if they're living up to expectations or what the economy is like. You know what they care about? They care that everybody gets a hit, everybody gets to come home, and at the end, everybody gets a snack. Like, the thing that most excites them is what? They get to play with their friends. That is the kind of happiness Jesus is talking about. The kind of, Dr. Leaf goes on to say, happiness has more to do with a sense of inner satisfaction than external consumption. It's a mindset. It's a way of seeing and interacting with the world. If I'm a doer of Jesus' words, if I want to build my foundation on the rock, then I, I, I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to choose happiness in who Jesus says that I am, in what Jesus gives me to do. In, in who Jesus puts in my path. That's where I'm going to find happiness. I choose happiness in spite of the other things that are going on in my life. So a solid foundation of doing what Jesus says is to choose happiness. I, I would say the next big topic Jesus talks about in this sermon is to prioritize relationships. Choose happiness and then prioritize relationships. Following the Beatitudes, these happy statements, Jesus then talks about some very, very tough topics. Divorce and murder, adultery, revenge. There's a lot to unpack there. But kind of the bottom line of that, the overarching theme through that part of the sermon is that relationship trumps almost everything. In fact, Jesus says in verse 23 of Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then offer your gift. We have to know the background of what Jesus is talking about. He's talking to Jewish people, and he's talking to them in Galilee. But this temple sacrifice that he describes where you bring your gift to the altar, that happens in Jerusalem. So for his audience, to take a gift to the altar means a two- or three-day journey each way. And then when they're there, they have to purchase that, that offering or bring a very expensive gift with them. And then once they come to the altar, it's already, it's probably, it's an animal of some kind. It's already been sacrificed. And Jesus says, you've taken the two or three journey, you bought the, 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 the animal, it's been sacrificed, and now you're putting it on the altar. If there is a relationship that is messed up, stop right there, walk away, go take care of that relationship. Make the multiple day journey back by another animal. Go through the process again. Jesus is saying that relationship is more important than going on, showing up at church. More important than that act of worship. In fact, Jesus is in some way saying your act of worship is really reconciling that relationship. Jesus is saying relationship trumps almost everything. The, uh, I don't know what it's been like here in South Carolina. I haven't been back for a while. In Colorado lately, things have been crazy, like crazy climate. Like, no, I'm not talking weather. I'm just talking the climate overall. Families in Colorado, I've seen families who can't even sit in a living room together to talk anymore because they, politics have just divided them. I, I've seen Christian friends of mine cancel other Christians because of something they disagree about. I, 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 I have seen people quit churches 
over whether the church agrees with the, what they think about masks. I mean, it's been crazy. And I think if Jesus saw us living like that, he would say, how's that foundation of sand working out for you? Because you see, Jesus didn't cancel anyone. Did you ever think about that? Like Jesus didn't cancel Thomas, his follower, when Thomas didn't think that Jesus had risen from the dead. Jesus didn't cancel Judas when Jesus, Judas betrayed him to the Pharisees. Jesus didn't cancel one of his closest friends, Peter, when Peter denied that he even knew him. In fact, Jesus said, my relationship with Peter is so important that I'm going to hold off returning to heaven and moving on with the history until I go back and make sure that Peter knows we're good. Read John 21. John 20 ends the book. But then Jesus goes, no, we're not done yet. There's one more thing I need to do. And he, he reconciles that relationship. Jesus says that relationships are more important than actions. So if I want to do what Jesus says to do, I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to prioritize relationships. Another big category of this sermon is, is what I would say, make love your compass. Make love your compass. It says in verse 43 of chapter 5 of Matthew, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Imagine Jesus saying that in today's climate. Imagine Jesus saying, you know what? You need to love the guy who hates everything you stand for. You need, you need to pray for that political leader that you think is a disaster. You need to cultivate friendships outside of your own circle, your own tribe. If Jesus talked like that today, it could get him killed. You know, when I was at Seacoast, I had a, I had a men's group where I saw this kind of love kind of demonstrated um, you know, men's groups, you, you know, men's groups, men's groups are manly. They, they, they meet at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. And then they go out and, and they kill wild animals and eat them raw. You know, that kind of thing. My men's group, we would eat at 10 a.m. at Atlanta Bread. Like that was kind of our thing. And we would meet on Saturday because we didn't want to interrupt the rest of our week. Right. And we had Republicans and Democrats. We had liberals and we had very conservative guys. We had guys who owned their own business and were very successful in life. And we had guys who were just getting off drugs and had finally got a job. But we would sit around this table over Atlanta Bread at Town Center. And we wouldn't talk about the election or the economy that much. We would just crack open the Bible. We would read a passage. We would go, what do you guys think? How does that apply? And then we'd go, what's going on in your life? And a guy would go, my business is struggling. And another guy would go, I'm tr my, me and my wife, I, we're really in a tough place. And another guy would go, my addiction is just, I'm, it's, it keeps coming back. And then we would pray for each other. We'd call each other by name. At the end, we would pretend to hug, but would fist bump because we're guys. And, and it was just one of the purest times of just seeing, you know what? We're going to prioritize these relationships. We're going to choose love we're going to let that be our be our guide see what I think Jesus is saying is he's saying that before I make any decision before I make before I post that comment on Facebook before I confront my coworker, before I quit that relationship or quit that job or quit that church I'm going to ask myself one question what is the most loving thing I could do not is am I not the question isn't am I right not am I justified it's am I loving what is the most loving thing 
I can do. And, and most of you don't know me, and you're probably saying, Jeff, seriously, you're saying that we shouldn't stand up for that, that we shouldn't correct that, that we shouldn't push back hard on that? And no, I'm not saying that. It's what Jesus said. Guest speaker is the best gig on earth. <laughs> I clean up none of this. <clears throat> the last thing that I think Jesus said is he said to choose happiness and, 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 and to prioritize relationships, to do the loving thing. And then I think the last thing is to seek God, seek God. He finishes in Matthew 6 and then Matthew 7 talking about prayer and leaning into God. In fact, he says in verse 31 of Matthew 6, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And there's the key. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says that as doers of the word, we worry less about possessions. We worry less about what people are or are not doing. We worry less about getting ahead or getting behind or getting even. And we focus on seeking and running and following God. And trusting God, that'll take care of the rest. See, here's the deal. It all kind of works together. And the last thing I said is really the first thing. If I seek God first, if in doing what Jesus says, and building a foundation, if I seek God first, that helps me make the loving choice. When I make the loving choice, I'm able to prioritize relationship. When I'm seeking God and, and making loving choices and prioritizing relationships, it's much easier to choose happiness. 11 years ago, actually it was about 12 years ago, Sherry and I began feeling this stirring in our hearts that maybe... Maybe God was calling us into another chapter that wasn't Seacoast. That was really, really hard because we, our family grew up here. We love this church. Greg and I make fun of each other, and we love working together. It was fun. And yet we felt God stirring up our hearts. We prayed. We sought counsel from other Christians. We asked friends. We asked each other, do you have a peace about this? And 11 years ago, we packed up everything we had out of our house over in Bell Hall, and we moved all the way across the country to California. We left our church that we love. We left our friends and our small group that we love. The hardest thing is we left family members, and we left a little nine-month-old granddaughter that owned our hearts. But we felt like God was telling us to do what he was calling us to do, and so we did. And when we got to California to to be perfectly honest with you, I entered the hardest year of ministry I've ever had. Satan came after me, and I experienced spiritual attack in ways I never had before. I, I suddenly felt depression that I never had. I felt anxiety. There were days that I sat at a stoplight and thought, you know, if that car doesn't stop and I go to see Jesus, at least I don't have to deal with this anymore. It was deep, and it was dark, and yet in the middle of that, I knew that we were doing what Jesus called us to do. And we knew that the only way to get to where God wanted us to be was to go through what God had us go through. And eventually, 
We left California and love that church and love the people. We went to Denver. We discovered more and more what God was calling us to do. And right now we are in an amazing season. Our kids both live 20 minutes from our house. Our grandkids think our house is their house. They have their own, they have their treat closet that Mimi has that they go in and, and eat all the sugar they want in the whole world. And life, life is pretty good. But we had to do what Jesus called us to do. And so I'm wondering today, what is Jesus calling you to do? I doubt that it's quit your job and move across country. That's just a unique thing for us in that moment. But what's he calling you to do? Is there a relationship that is coming to mind right now that Jesus is saying, you, you, need, you need to do whatever you can from your side to reconcile that relationship? Is there a choice that you're making that Jesus is saying, you know what, you, what's the loving thing? Have you asked yourself, what's the most loving thing I can do at work, at home, in my neighborhood, on social media? What's Jesus calling you to do? Do. Because Jesus said, if you hear my word, if you go to church, if you read the Bible, if you memorize scripture, if you're a part of a small group, if you are on the prayer team, if you serve at church, if you hear my words, but you don't do what I ask you to do, you're building your house on sand. And when the storms come, which they come to all of us, whether it's medical diagnosis or a strange relationship or a financial market that collapses. When the storm comes, Jesus said, and you hear but don't do, your house will be destroyed. But if you build it on the rock and you love and you care for people and you seek God, he said, you're going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Are you building your life on the sand or on the rock? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. And Jesus, I thank you that, that you gave us the demonstration. Like you didn't just say do these things, but you did them. And we saw that in your life, it did eventually lead to your, your death on the cross, but you died there for us. And then three days later, you rose from the dead, Lord. And so, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to do what you call us to do. I think for, I pray for each one of us that we'll hear that call clearly. Lord, for some today, the thing you're calling them to do is to follow you. Maybe they've never taken that step or maybe it's been many, many years since they've said, I'm just going to com completely commit my life to Jesus. I'm going to completely give up what I want and I'm going to do what Jesus wants. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you want to prayer, pray a prayer, something like this today. And Jesus, I am sorry that I have lived my life for me. I have done what I want to do. Today, please forgive me. Please wash that past away. And Lord, give me wisdom and courage to go forward and to do what you're calling me to do. Lord, for each of us, just we want to clearly know what's our next step. And Lord, we will follow you. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.